Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. Every Monday, I introduce you to a guest whose story and expertise can inspire you to think, feel, and do your best in life. And the fun part is, we record the show from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Have you ever wondered if your goals might be too small? When you envision yourself making a change, do you think it's just going to take way too much hard work to actually do it? Do you ever convince yourself that you don't have the time or the energy that you need to change your life? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He's an organizational psychologist and the author of eight books, which have sold nearly one million copies. His work focuses on the psychology of exponential growth and transformation, future self-science, and entrepreneurship. His books include Personality Isn't Permanent, Be Your Future Self Now, and 10x is Easier Than 2x. Today, we mostly focus on his newest book, 10x is Easier Than 2x. It's based on the idea that if you try to create change on a small scale, you'll probably end up working twice as hard. But if you create a giant goal and decide that you want to make your goal 10 times bigger, you'll find creative ways to make it happen and you might actually free up a lot of your time. In his book, he gives a lot of examples about business owners. For example, a real estate agent who wants to grow two times bigger might think the best strategy is to just get more listings. But a real estate agent who wants to grow 10 times bigger might invest in their own real estate company and get commission from real estate agents under them, making them more money by actually doing less. So I wanted to learn about how we might apply this principle to self-improvement goals. On the show and in my therapy office, I often talk about taking small steps. So I was curious about the idea of creating a giant goal for yourself. And ultimately, I don't think you can do just one or the other. Sometimes I think you can do both at the same time. You can create a giant goal, but then focus on one small step every day that will get you there. Some of the things Dr. Hardy talks about today are how to make decisions based on our future selves, what scaling a personal growth goal could look like as opposed to scaling a business, and how to make decisions that your future self is going to appreciate. Make sure to stick around until the end of the show for The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Hardy's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Dr. Benjamin Hardy on why you should make your goals way bigger than you might think. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, welcome to Mentally Stronger. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Are you a fellow Floridian? I am. Where do you live? Uh, we're down in the Florida Keys. Okay, yeah. So I live in Orlando. Very cool. We have something else in common that I didn't know about till I read your most recent book, 10X is Easier Than 2X, is that you were a foster parent who eventually adopted. I was a former foster parent as well. I had foster kids for about 10 years. So when I saw that you had foster kids, I thought, oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. We have six kids, three of the ones we adopted, the older three. So they're now 15, 13, and 11 and fantastic teenagers that were learning how to be mentally stronger with, <laughs> or mentally, so I don't know. I don't know how I would describe it, but yeah, we're learning how to be 
more emotionally equipped. Well, and I'm thrilled that somehow you still find time to write books. <laughs> totally. I mean, I, so we got those kids in 2015 as foster kids and yeah, I've written eight books since then, essentially. So, wow. Well, I know that is no small feat. I first came across your work. Um, I read Personality Isn't Permanent. And I read mm. it at about a time when I was a psychology 101 instructor at a college. And as I'm teaching about how our personality is well ingrained in us by the time we're three, four years old, and then I'm reading your book about actually, no, perhaps your personality can change. And absolutely loved all of the concepts in that book. Okay. So yeah, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I was writing that book when I was still finishing my PhD. And I remember having lots of conversations with one of my uh, advisors who we were good friends, but he was under the camp of personality is for the most part innate and, you know, won't change much throughout your life. And so it, we, you know, we came from different backgrounds, that's for sure. Well, it was a, it was a great read and very eye-opening just about some of the different ideas about perhaps there are some ways that our personality does shift and we can be proactive in and making that happen. So if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about personality, go pick up that book. But the book I want to talk to you about today is your newest one, which is called 10X is Easier Than 2X. What exactly does that mean? It means a lot of different things, but I would say let's start from like a decision-making standpoint. So there's a theory in decision-making called constraint theory. Constraint theory is basically... It's a, it's a way in which businesses or individuals make decisions. And so the main point with this theory is, is that anytime you have a goal, there's going to be a core like constraint. And that constraint is the thing that needs to be solved to achieve the goal. So if I want to lose weight, I got to figure out what's actually like the obstacle and I need to solve that. Most businesses and most people, they get caught up in a thousand different things, but they're never actually addressing the bottleneck, um, which is like the thing that needs to be solved. And so one of the cool components of that theory is, is the idea that if you make a goal massively bigger, it actually clears out most of the confusion. So like the, you know, you've read the book. I actually would probably prefer to go wherever you want to go with this. But one of the things that helps me is bigger goals have way less potential pathways, pathways being a core aspect of choice making. And so that's one reason is, is, is that if you really elevate the goal, there's a, most of the things won't get you there. And so you, you, you have to be really honest about everything going on in your life and that most of the things are probably a distraction. And so it forces you into kind of the 20% of things in terms of the 80-20. Um, like it forces you into the few things that may work and you got to really go deep on a few things and you've got to let go of everything else. And so I, I don't think I'm explaining myself right now, but um, yeah, I'm going <laughs> to stop there for now. No, I think that was a, a good explanation. And what I got from your book was that, you know, sometimes we sell ourselves short and then we get stuck on this treadmill where we think the solution to getting a little bit better is just investing a little more time. But then we put our time into the wrong things and we aren't focused enough. And then we sell ourselves short in the end. I do. I think so. I think that, so one of my favorite parts of like all the research on future self is, is that your future self is a vastly different person than you are. And and so this book, in terms of 10X, helps me think about a much bigger, more, you know, what could my future self be? Who could I be? What's possible? Um, that fits with like Victor Frankl's work, I guess, on purpose. Um, I'll give an example of my own self. Um, so when I was a PhD student, this was in 2015, um, I really wanted to be an author. I really wanted to write books. 
And I guess I could have set the goal to simply just write a book, which would have been fine. There'd been nothing wrong with that goal. But I set, called a 10x goal, which was I wanted to get a six-figure book deal with one of the major publishers. So those are two like totally different goals. Um, but again, the goal that was much higher, seemingly impossible to get a multi-six-figure book deal as a person with zero blog posts and anything like that, it really helped me to identify a much different a different, I guess you could call it, set of pathways. Like the goal shapes the process. That's what we call, you know, deliberate practice. And so as weird as it sounds, I think it was easier to just clarify a much bigger goal because it helped me to, first off, I asked a lot of agents and publishers and things like that, like, how do I get something like this? And then it just told me the few things that honestly mattered. Like there's so much noise when it comes to wanting to accomplish any goals, but if you actually like raise it really high up, it, it, it gets you to kind of the core a lot faster. You know, so it's like, if I want to run, if I want to run a 5k, like, you know, it's probably not, this may sound weird, but like, yeah, there's plenty of things I could do to run a 5k. But if I want to run a hundred miles and and I'm not saying running a hundred miles is easier than running a 5k, but I'm just saying the few things to run a hundred miles. Like if I actually were to like interview people and ask people who have done that, there is just a few things that really matter to doing that really well. And so it just really simplifies what matters and it gets you to the core. And then you could ask yourself if that's what you want to do. But um, it's it's been really helpful for me. And I, I re- could relate to the parts of the book when you talk about uh, writing a book specifically, since I've written books, that it's so easy to get distracted by all the things that people will tell you that you should be doing, right? You need a newsletter. You need a huge social media following. You better put videos on YouTube. And then you could easily forget that the goal is to write a really good book, right? <laughs> and then... And then you have that would to figure be a 20%. Out, right. And to figure out like what's actually important, where do I invest my time and energy? Obviously, you need to do some of that stuff because you could have the most amazing book in the world. But as somebody once wisely told me, it's called the bestsellers list, not the best, but the best writers list. You need to also sell the book, which means you need to be out there. But if you spent all of your time building a giant newsletter, but then didn't write a very good book, it's still not going to sell. I think that that's probably what happened with my first book. (laughs) (laughs) It's tough though, right? You get all this advice from so many different people about what you should be doing. And I'm sure this applies to so many of our listeners' lives, whether it comes to they want to have a fitness goal or they have a financial goal. There's a million and one ideas about how to get there. And sometimes it's easy to get distracted by thinking that you should be doing kind of what everybody's telling you to do. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I, I like about this concept and this idea is, is that it act, for me, what it's done is it actually forces me out of worrying about what anyone else is doing. I'm like, my future self is between me and myself. No one knows who my future self is but me. And so I'm actually in competition with no one, not even any other writers. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I've got my own future self. I've got my own goals, my own objectives. And it's just between me and that. And my future self calls the shots. And so... Um, it's kind of allowed me to let my, so, so one way of looking at it, and there's a lot of research on this, like a lot of people when they're thinking about their future and most people don't spend that much time thinking about their future self, but they take the present and they project it onto the future. And what that means is that they, they assume that the future is going to look a lot like the present. And in a lot of ways they're actually taking the present and mapping forward. And a lot of what the research on future self would have you do is actually start to really imagine your future self and then you let your future self come to you. You let your future self determine what you do in the present rather than letting the present determine what you do in the future. That's kind of an counterintuitive thought, but you, once you get your future self really clear and you get connected to that and I, you know, it's, it's bigger and honestly 
in a different place, your future self, you let the future determine what you do here and now. That's going to allow you to make a lot better decisions. Um, but it's also going to allow you to let go um, of a lot of the things that got you here, but won't get you there. A lot of the things that were useful in the past, but are no longer suited to the future that's now kind of the operating system. Do you want to get high quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at butcherbox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. This is the first time in my life when I haven't had a pet. Up until two years ago, I had Jackson, a 19-year-old Himalayan cat, and Fiona, a 17-year-old English Springer Spaniel. Both of them lived on the sailboat and adjusted pretty well to life on the water. I miss them, and I look forward to getting another pet when the time is right. Today's episode is sponsored by the ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program. Your pet is part of the family, and you want the best for them no matter what. But vet bills can really add up. That's why you should check out pet insurance. And with ASPCA Pet Health Insurance, you can focus on the care your pet deserves and cover what matters most. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash stronger. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency, LIM. So to put that into practice, let's say I want to move, but it's going to cost me a lot more money, so I need to start saving money. But then I have the opportunity to uh, buy something for $500 and it's bright and shiny and it's right in front of me. I'm like, oh, I, I deserve it or I've worked hard. How do I then use that concept to talk myself out of blowing that $500 right now? <laughs> so what I would say is this. Um, so you're, you're assuming that you already know the house you want. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you want that house. As far as we're concerned, it's yours, but you just don't have it yet? Yep. So I think that what you would do if you're like absolutely like, yes, this is my house, is you would start to strategize as though the house is already yours. And so, like, certainly, well, in simple terms, I guess, with the future, with the future self-research, yeah, you'd probably, you'd probably say no to the, fifth, the $500 thing, or you would ask yourself, 
is like what are the other reasons? It's not the five hundred dollars. It's not the five hundred dollars that's stopping you from having the house. If if that was the only problem, you'd have the house already. So like, what are the other what are the other realistic things that are stopping you from having the house now? And if you were strategizing from the fact that you already had the house, how would you go about doing it? Um, you know, is it five years away? Is it one year away? Um, and so, it, it, if you took the house really seriously, it might it yeah the five hundred dollar thing might be a thing, but you know, I would wonder about everything else that's stopping you from having the house. Got it. So to make sure I don't just blame myself for the one mistake, but to look at the bigger picture and say, perhaps it's my overall budget. Well, no, maybe if you're taking the house really seriously, you might need to get a different job or like, Uh. you know know what I'm saying? Like maybe like right now you're still operating like with that house being far into the future. But if you bring the house into the present, that would maybe adjust your strategy around how to get it. Maybe there are ways of getting the house. ASAP, maybe different forms of, uh, of financing or whatnot, or et cetera. Like, you know, once you actually take the future and bring it into the present, you start strategizing in the present a lot differently rather than again, putting some map from here to there in the future where it's like, yeah, it's three to five years from now. I got to save up 25 K or 50 K or hundred K or whatever. It's like, all right, let's just bring it here and say, if this was true, what would I need to start doing now? Um, and so Maybe you do find another 50K or something like that in a way that's totally non-linear to what you're used to. Um, because, yeah, it, it just, it'll force you down different pathways. So, so I'm not that worried about the $500. I'm more worried about, like, what's, what, if, if we're going to take this house thing seriously, what would we need to do? To, what, would, what, would, what would we need to do working backwards rather than trying to work forwards? Okay. And I guess this is why you're the author of this book. You're like, think a lot bigger. (laughs) I'm over here like, let's take some small steps, like not do that. So, and that's one of my questions for you is as a therapist, I often talk to people about like baby steps. Like let's not set out to lose a hundred pounds. Let's work on losing two pounds. And then when you lose two, let's focus on two more. But you argue that perhaps it's good to set the bar really, really high, right? Yeah, I mean, 10x doesn't always have to be bigger. It can certainly be different and better. So like as an example, like I I take going from crawling to walking as a 10x. Like that's a a transformation that like if you go from crawler to walker, as a walker, you can do a thousand different things that you could ever do as a walker, right? If I can go from, um, you know, living in my parents' basement to living on my own, like that's a 10x. Um, Steve Jobs, you know, and I use the example in the book of Steve Jobs, going from, you know, he took the music industry from CDs to iPod. Like that's a qualitative change, but it opened up infinite potential. And so it doesn't always have to be bigger, um, but it's like, who, what's the next step? Like who's your true future self? Um, I I do get the idea of tiny habits and I get the idea of like, you want to get some momentum, you want to start small and stuff like that. But I'm, yeah, I think that, there's a great quote, and this is in the Alcoholics Anonymous world, that all progress starts by telling the truth. Like, all progress starts by telling the truth. And so it's like, let's be honest here. Like, who's your true future self, and what does that look like? And if your future self was sitting here in our shoes, um, what would they be saying yes and no to? Um, and so then it becomes less about grinding to those two pounds and more about letting go of the identity of your path, though. So Robert Keegan is a Harvard psychologist, and he's got a concept called hidden commitment. We all have hidden commitments. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, by the way, is the system is designed to defend the system. The system is designed to defend the system. And there is, I would, I would say at least for people, there's two systems. One is internal and one is external. 
the internal system is your subconscious, um, which is basically your past self. Your subconscious is the identity of your past. And that's why your habits are all the way you've been doing things. Um, but when you start really connecting to the future self, whatever that may be, your own future self and bringing them here, then it's a lot easier to let go of those hidden commitments because they just don't resonate with your future self. And you're looking at life through the view of your future self now. Like There's a great quote that says, we don't see the world as it is, we see it as we are. But if we start seeing things through the view of our future self, then a lot of the things we do, whether it's eat the junk food or whatnot, they stop resonating. Um, even me, as an example, like, um, you know, I'll sometimes go home from work and just be freaking exhausted and tired and not give beautiful attention to my kids. But sometimes I just think like, how would my future self love to just come and hang out with my four-year-old daughters? Like if my future self was here, you know, they're 20 years older than me and all their kids are grown up and they, you know, but if they could just switch me places for the rest of the day and just go home and play with Phoebe in the backyard, she's four years old, like they'd be stoked. And so it just helps you live a lot more intentionally. It helps you see things from a higher uh perspective, it becomes a lot easier to say no, I guess you could say to the stuff that's obviously, um, you know, kind of against where you're trying to go. The pain in the moment isn't quite so bad when you look at it that way, right? I don't think the pain in the moment, like, I I don't really think, I I think you get a lot easier, like, so there's a concept called psychological flexibility. And it's a lot of connecting to your future identity and letting go of your past identity. And I think that over time, you, you develop new awareness. So it's not like, oh, I have to do this. It's like you actually start to see it differently where you can honestly celebrate. It's almost Marie Kondo style. Like when Marie Kondo, you know, she says you get rid of a shirt rather than as a piece of trash, you actually thank it. Like you thank it for what it was, right? And so I think you actually get to the point where you celebrate what it was and you celebrate letting it go. And so I think it, I don't think it, it I, I think BJ Fogg even who wrote Tiny Habits would probably agree with that one that like, you actually want it to feel good. And so celebrating the past, not being mad at the past, but celebrating even the fact that you are seeing this from a new perspective and that it's not as compelling anymore. Um, it's worth celebrating. I like that because quite often that we think about our past self, right? And like the old self, what we would have done back then and those habits that become ingrained and then to see ourselves as, all right, I'm, I'm a different person now. I'm going to do things differently. That can be kind of tough sometimes, and it has to be that constant reminder. I know for my life, I grew up as kind of the chubby kid who always ate tons of junk food. Now, in this phase of my life, I'm not that person anymore, but there's still that <laughs> that idea sometimes that I'm still the same kid. But I love the idea of then saying, well, it's not about who I was, but who I still want to be and who do I want to grow to become. Yeah, and you're not that same person anymore, even though sometimes it feels like it. But that that younger version of you had their own reasons for the decisions they were making and they deserve massive compassion and empathy and perspective and your current self. Sometimes our narratives, yeah, bring the past to the present. Um, one of my favorite psychologists, his name's Brent Slife, he said it's more accurate to say that the present causes the meaning of the past than to say that the past causes the meaning of the present. So from my perspective, it's the present that determines the past. It's not the past that determines the present. And so I, I think that you get to, you know, you your past... I, 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 I'm a massive fan of your past self. Like, and that, that, that person, whoever you're talking about, like that person, I think that person's freaking cool. Like, that's how I see that person. But I also love your current self. Your current self's different. Your future self's going to be really different. Um, but yeah, I think it's very healthy to, to recognize all the differences between your current self and your past self. And I do this even on a weekly basis. I can see that I'm not quite the same person I was a week ago. And that you put me back at Monday, I probably would have lived this past week a little differently. Um, I'm cool with that. You know, that's called learning. So. 
One of my favorite quotes from your book was something that resonated well with me. Working too many hours means you're living 2x, not 10x. Focus on effort, not transformation. I think we sometimes get in that treadmill, right? Thinking that the goal, the secret to getting a little bit ahead is to just put in a couple more extra hours. But then we don't see the big picture that perhaps we need to redesign some things and set ourselves up for success. Yeah, I'm wondering how that hits you. Like, where are some ways where you might be doing effort over quality over quantity? I don't know, where do you, personally, just genuinely? Yeah, well, I could say in a couple areas when it comes to work, definitely. There's lots of things I could delegate, but then I sometimes think, well, it takes more effort to teach somebody how to do it so they could take that over, like a newsletter. I'll just do it all myself all the time. Probably not the best use of my time. Uh, and times when I guess when it comes to like working out, I'm, I'm a runner. I run every day. I enjoy that. But um, but sometimes I think that the goal is to to keep working harder on just running faster. And then my audio engineer for probably about a year was like, you know, I think you have asthma. I'm like, no, no, I'm like 43 years old. I've never been diagnosed with asthma. I don't have it. Sure enough, I do. And you take an inhaler. Now I can run way better. But I was so caught in that treadmill of thinking, you know, I just had to grind and push through it that I didn't necessarily believe that perhaps I could work smarter and not just harder. <laughs> so that's a, uh, you know, that's back to Robert Keegan. He'd call it a hidden commitment, but that's the way you've done things. You know, you've, right. and we all have these, we all have ways in which we do things. And so one of your hidden commitments is just to work harder, you know, and that, that's what drives a lot of your choices and actions, which would may stop you from delegating as an example, uh, or, you know, so yeah, this this whole notion, one of my favorite quotes from Dan Sullivan, he said, entrepreneurs who are too tightly scheduled don't have the space to transform themselves. And so I, I, I really look at this and I see it a lot. Like even recently, I was teaching at a group where the minimum the minimum net worth was 50 million and there were billionaires in the room. And a lot of these people had been grinding for like 50 years, not 50, sorry, 20 years. And like just put, had their heads down and they were just working, 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 very little recovery. Like it was just like, like, and their kids didn't even know them because these were like these hard, like just work all day entrepreneurs. And now they've sold their companies and they have no clue who they are. Like they're like literally like, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't have a goal. Like I, you know what I mean? And my whole point to them was um, like, you know, focus and recovery could be designed through the process. Like you don't have to just like put your head down and like work for 20 years or even a full year. Like if you actually would design in recovery and in psychology, they call it psychological detachment from work, but it's like, yeah, you can go deep and focus on something like writing a book or, you know, designing a project or whatever you're doing, but regularly you actually want to like fully release, actually get out, like maybe take three or four days off, maybe take a week off. You know, if you're crazy, take a month off, like once a year or something like that. But if you start to design that into your regular life, then not only are you like deep in the weeds, but you can actually start to see the like see the whole horizon and maybe adjust your path a lot more. And uh, I find that you're more likely to quote unquote 10x a lot more often if you if you have that more regular process of going deep and then coming out, going deep, coming out. And so for me, I prefer to design my life around that. That's also how flow works. Flow is a lot more, uh, you know, it's about immersion in something, but it's also about expansion. And so I think you kind of want both. That makes sense. Uh, when I was working just full-time as a therapist, I used to design my schedule so I could take a month off. And during that month, I really didn't think that much about work, but boy, did I come up with some much better ideas, strategies, things I wanted to do without trying to think about it. But when my head was down the other 11 months out of the year, it was a lot harder to do that. 
Yeah, I think if you design, you know, you can design that in even on a smaller scale, on a weekly scale, have one or two days where you just zip out, you know, dip out uh, on a monthly basis, have a week where you just kind of just drop out for a bit. It doesn't have to be a full week. It could be five, four or five days, but just regularly designing that stuff in, you get more and more of those ideas much more regularly. And how do you let go of certain things? Like I noticed on Instagram, you aren't posting 14 times a day like so many other authors are who feel like if I'm not posting, I might miss out on something and then I won't reach my readers. So I have to keep posting all this content. You don't do that. How do you let that go? Um, I think that this goes back to just future self and I'm connected to my own future self. I don't really care what other authors are doing. Um, and so the goal shapes the strategy. And... Um, like I'll tell you a few things. One thing I learned, and this is more like practical, is like it's much better to go really deep on one thing rather than like shallow one fifty. And so, like for me, when I was blogging and trying to like get my way to becoming a professional author, I literally only had one platform, and that was Medium dot com. So I like wrote there, got literally five hundred thousand email subscribers through that one channel, uh, and so I didn't need any other channels. Um, and and so now, like I have no interest in Instagram. I'm pretty interested in YouTube. And so if I do that one channel, I'm going to do it well. Uh, and I know if I do that really well, then I can 10x it. And if I 10x that, then it's better than 2xing five channels. Um, and so that's, that's, that's like a, a practical look. But in terms of letting things go, I think that... So in the book, one of the things we talk about, and this is kind of the core idea, is, is that if you're going to go for 2x, what that means is that you're, you're very linear in your growth. Like So my books have collectively sold about a million copies. And so it's like, if I want to go for 2 million then I'm doubling my goal. Um, but I, I really don't have to do that much. Like I can, I can pretty much keep 80% of my current strategy, 80% of my current approach if I want to go for 2x. And what that means is I'm letting the path dictate my present and the present to dictate my future. Um, the opposite idea is 10x where you're letting a bigger future determine your present. And you know, just the model we use is that you can only keep the 20% and you're going to have to let go of 80% of your life because 80% of your life right now doesn't fit kind of that future self-filter. So, you know, a lot of people have the argument in the conversation, is it the goal or the process? In my opinion, the only process is operating from your future. So like continuously getting clear on your future and operating from that future. To me, that's the only process. Um, But what that sometimes does is it forces you to let a lot of things go, even great things that now don't meet that new future. So like literally May has been a huge month for me. So like we launched 10X is easier than 2X. But that's also the last book I'm doing with Dan, because even though it's been beautiful, it doesn't fit the future that I see for myself. Um, what else? Oh, I even left his coaching program. I, I'm not even in strategic coach anymore. Even though I love that program, I left a, another really high level mastermind I'm in. Um, the only reason I'm telling you all this, and, and I'll say one more thing. I also let go of the coaching program I do, which generates a lot of money. It's probably 60 to 70% of my income. But it just became really clear to me that it was 2x, not 10x. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is it was more a representation of my past, not my future. And so I, I launched it for the last time because there were already people in it through the end of the year. And so I was kind of already pre-committed to the end of 2023. But I've told everyone in the program, look, this is the last. This is it. It's, it's, it's actually coming to a close um, at the end of this year. And we're just going to end it on a massive high. And it's going to be beautiful. And so... So there's a really funny quote from Aristotle. Aristotle says that nature abhors a vacuum. Have you heard that before? Yes. Nature abhors a vacuum. So it's like if you have an empty plot of dirt and you do nothing with it, weeds are going to grow. Like 
you know, it's, it, and if, if you, if you have five minutes to do nothing, chances are you're going to fill it with that vacuum, grab your phone, whatever you're going to do, you're going to freaking fill it. And so it's, people have a huge aversion to creating space. And so what I'm doing and why I'm telling you all this stuff is I literally have let go of collaboration, which is amazing. A lot of the communities I'm a part of, even my 70% of my income, because I'm literally creating space. And it's funny to see all of the, like how the monkey mind starts to like quickly try to fill it. Um, And Michelangelo did say that, you know, how do you reach the David? Well, you strip away everything that's not the David. From my view, the David is your 10X future self. And the 80% of your life is your past self, not your future self. Um, And if you create that vacuum and you actually allow it to have that space, what happens is, is that your future self actually starts to come to you which is really what psychologists would call pull motivation rather than push motivation. But um, like, that's how I look at letting things go is, is that you be really honest about, is this the past or is this the future? And if it's the past, then you celebrate it. You don't get mad at it. You don't resent it. You don't need to go through like deep stages of mourning and loss. It's actually a massive gain and step forward that you're letting this thing go. Um, Cause you're now creating space for something much bigger and better. I like that. And I, I liked, um, Greg McCowan's book, Essentialism, and I can actually see you, I think, have one of his books on the shelf behind you. But it talked a lot about about letting go of... Uh, essentialism. It is essentialism. Uh, yeah, okay. And I think, you know, along those same lines of if it's not essential, don't do it and cutting things out of your life, although it feels scary, uh, gives us the freedom and flexibility to say, I'm going to focus on on the here and now. One last question for you then is if somebody who's listening today says, okay, I, I want to start changing my life. I, I want to start focusing on a, a bigger goal for myself and starting to figure out how to give things up. Like, where do you start besides, aside from reading your book? I think the first place to, the first place to always start from my view is your future self. Like your future self, as an example with me, like there's no way I would have been able to strategize around like writing viral blog posts on medium.com if I wasn't connected to my future self as a professional author with deep reasons for wanting to do that. And so there's no reason to quote unquote 10 X if you don't have a future self or a reason to do it. And so I think that the first step is honestly, and and there's a lot of research on this is just starting to get connected to your future self. Um, There's a great Ted talk by Daniel Gilbert. He it's called the psychology of your future self. It was back in 2014 but one of the things that he talked about is just, just that a lot of people, and this is to the idea of you know projecting your present onto the future, most people overly assume that their future self is the same person they are today. And they don't have an, a massive imagination on their future self, but they're also just not that connected to their future self. So there's a lot of research from a guy named Tal Hirschfield, and he talks about just the importance of, first off, getting emotionally connected to your future self, which actually, and interestingly, involves empathy. Empathy is about starting to kind of see that the other person is a different person and they see things differently than you do and they have a different perspective. And so maybe you should seek first to understand than to be understood. And so actually thinking about your future self, imagining your future self, thinking what their life could look like, thinking about what matters to them, maybe five, 10, 15 years from now, or what, or what you want your future self to look like. You start to get more and more connected to that. Um, and then from there, if you would choose to, one of the models that I really like is just Jim Collins. He said, if you have more than three priorities, you have zero. So it's like, okay, what are the three most important things for my future self? So you could do that. I could identify that, like my faith, my family, and then what else? I could decide that for myself, whatever my, whatever really matters to my future self. But then if I want to, I could take whatever, call it my priorities are, and I could then scale them up to next. I could say, what would be like a massively upgraded version of this? 
And that would actually help me simplify my life here and now to say, okay, if that's true, then probably most of what I'm doing right now is a distraction from that. And so I think that getting clear on the goal is one thing, but then making the goal massively bigger. Getting So it's kind of like Alice in Wonderland. Like if you don't have a goal, then it doesn't really matter where you go. And so clarifying the goal is one thing, but then making the goal higher just weeds out almost everything that's, that's noise. I love it. Dr. Benjamin Hardy, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. Yeah, thank you. Welcome to The Therapist Take. It's part of the show where I'll break down Dr. Hardy's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of Dr. Hardy's strategies for creating big goals for yourself. Number one, ask people with experience about what really matters. I love that Dr. Hardy said when he was writing a book, he wanted to know what other best-selling authors were doing. And he interviewed them to find out what was most impactful. That's huge. Whenever you want to reach a goal, whether you want to launch a business or you want to lose weight, tons of people will give you a lot of advice. There are a million different ways to do something, but it's easy to look around and see other people using lots of different approaches and assume that you need to do everything that they're all doing. But I guarantee if you ask someone who's really successful at reaching a goal that you want to reach, ask them what the most important things they did that helped them reach that goal, they'll give you the strategies that work best for them. And then you can learn from them and you won't waste your time and energy on the dozens of things that probably have a really small impact. Then 80% of your effort can go toward the 20% of the activities that actually work best. So be wary when someone on social media looks like they do absolutely everything or when you get advice from someone who hasn't already done what you're hoping to do because you don't have to do every little thing. Just do the things that will give you the best return on your investment. And remember that there are a lot of people claiming to be experts, but they haven't actually done it. Don't hire somebody to help you build a massive social media following if the person has like 10 followers. Just because they're teaching a course on it doesn't mean that they're an actual expert. Try to find someone you can talk to who's actually out there doing what you want to do. Number two, ask yourself, what would my future self love for me to do today? This question puts things in perspective fast. And Dr. Hardy says, don't think about the near future, but think about 10 years down the road. What would that future self want you to do today? And I love the example of how he said that his future self would want him to play with his kids, even when he's tired or he's had a long day at work. Our values and our priorities become clearer when we look at things this way. That thing that you're about to do might not seem quite so challenging, or the question about how to spend your time might get a lot easier to answer when you think about what your future self would want you to do today. And number three... Let go of the things that aren't directly related to your goal. This sounds easy on the surface, but it's tough to put into practice. We get so caught up into believing that we have to do a lot of things that aren't actually helpful. If you're launching a business, you'll hear from people who say you're missing out if you don't have a YouTube channel, or you're going to lose sales if you don't have a newsletter. Or if you're trying to save money, some people will tell you that you're missing out if you aren't investing in Bitcoin or if you don't have real estate but you can't do everything if you want to do something really well. In my books, when I talk about letting go of things that hold you back, I refer to the habits that rob you of mental strength, 
like feeling sorry for yourself. Dr. Hardy is also referring to the things that we might feel pressured to do, but don't really get us to where we want to be, like responding to every email message that we get or posting on social media all day long. And I know what I found in my personal life when I make a huge goal, it's easier to get focused. For an example, I had spent most of my adult life exercising sometimes, and I felt like I was in okay shape. But it wasn't until I hired a trainer to see what I could accomplish if I made fitness a top priority for a month that I really saw what I was capable of. I made more progress in 30 days than I had in 20 years. And I reached what felt like an impossible goal, which at the time, I just wanted to see if I could get six-pack abs in a month. But because I had such a big goal, there was no room for excuses. I couldn't skip a workout because I didn't feel like it. I couldn't eat junk food. During that 30 days, I had to give up a lot of things so that I could work out and eat a stricter diet. And I wouldn't want to live like that forever. But I've since discovered that staying in shape was way easier than getting in shape. But if I had always kept getting in better shape, like number eight on my priority list, it wouldn't have happened. So in that case, I think hitting a bigger goal was easier than hitting a smaller one. So you might find that's helpful to you too. Take a giant step back and look at your goals. Identify all the things you can give up to get focused on the actions that can have the biggest impact. I think there are plenty of times in life when we'll be more likely to succeed if we create a giant goal. There's something about having what seems like an impossible goal that will spark you to do things differently. And then when you do things differently, you might find you're capable of accomplishing more than you imagined. So those are three of Dr. Hardy's mental strength building strategies that I highly recommend. Ask people with experience about what really matters. Ask yourself, what would my future self love for me to do today? And let go of the things that aren't directly related to your goal. To hear more strategies for hitting giant goals, check out 10x is easier than 2x. It's filled with strategies that can help you reach your biggest goals. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this message, share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. We'll reply with your all-access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and for listening to Mentally Stronger. And as always, a big thank you to my show's producer, who doesn't like to set goals because he's afraid that he might sell himself short, Nick Valentine. <laughs>